everything's being recorded already. Everything's being recorded. That's hilarious. <laughs> Anything you say can and will be used on the podcast. That's so funny. Hi, this is Tracy of Tracy Lazat Studios, and you're listening to the Inspiration Place podcast with Miriam Shulman. This episode is sponsored by Flourish Company, professional display products for artists since 1985, and the number one place to go get your art fair booth. Set yourself up for success with the right foundation. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world insider podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hello, this is your host, artist Miriam Shulman, and you're listening to episode number 30 of the Inspiration Place podcast. I'm thrilled that you're here because today I've invited an artist who has a lot of experience selling art at shows, fairs, and festivals. And although the market may not be what it used to be 20 years ago, she still finds that this is the most profitable way of selling art, which is why I'm so excited to talk to her. So in this episode, we're gonna talk about how to choose art shows, what to bring, the secrets of setting up your booth. And I'm also going to ask her how she prices for sales because I know a lot of you are dying to know. But before we get there, I just wanted to tell you about today's freebie. Since today's episode is all about selling art in person, I have a checklist for you. It's what to bring to art shows. That way you will know you have everything you need. To get your hands on it, just go to the show notes, which is shulmanart.com forward slash 30, and we'll have a link there for you to download the checklist. Today, I've invited another painter who specializes in painting realistic yet very playful watercolor animals. She has over 27 years experience selling her art, mostly at art fairs, and she also has her art featured on licensed products which are sold globally in stores. She has a passion for painting with watercolors, keeping her business handmade, and help teaching others the traditional fine art techniques that have been passed down to her. Please welcome to the Inspiration Place, Tracy Lazat. Hi, Tracy. I'm so glad you're here. Hi. It's good to see you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you know, the reason I invited you, Tracy, is because now that my kids have gone off to college, I actually have the time to do more art shows. So although I know you have a, you have four kids, six kids, how many I kids do you have? I'm in the thick of it right now. I have four girls and they are eight, 11, 12, and 16. Okay. So how are you able to leave them for the weekend? Like your husband takes over and we're starting here with this question <laughs> because who helps you when you go to the art shows? I have a wonderful husband that helps me. Oh, well, at art shows I do completely on my own. So I just drop the kids off at school on Friday, pack up my Toyota Sienna, and I head off to wherever the show is, whether it be night, I'm driving from Maine, so I'm always going south. So I could be in New England or I'll go further past. I'll go to New York. I'll go to Pennsylvania, New Jersey. Wow. Long as I can drive home through Sunday night to get home to get my kids on school, Monday morning, I'll do a show. And if I'm going to go far away, you better believe it's a big show. When you get there, nobody's helping you. You set up the tent all by yourself? Yes. Oh my gosh. Wait, so how do you do that? 
Do you just ask somebody next to you? Can you just hold? I have one of those easy up tents and I still need help. Yeah, I use um, a trim line. Everything I get is mostly from the Flourish company. They're awesome. But there's a lot of wonderful companies out there. And we can get more into, of course, the equipment list. What I use now, I wouldn't recommend a beginner to jump into getting. You know, I would say go get the easy up, you know, start there. If you see my whole setup, you know, I have all the bells and whistles with the awnings and all that. But I also purposely chose like things like my walls are easy to roll up and throw into my Toyota Santa because I don't have a, a like a big van or something that I roll out. Some some artists do. If you use pro panels, you're going to need something bigger to drive to these shows. But yeah, it becomes very mechanical. You do enough of these shows, you just kind of know every single piece of your equipment, like the back of your hand, you can just throw it up and... Okay. Are you way taller than me? Because I can't reach some of these things. How tall are you? I am six feet tall. Yeah. So that does absolutely aid me. (laughs) I knew it. (laughs) Okay. So I'm only 5'2". It is possible for all those people out there that might be vertically challenged. I've witnessed artists around, even older, like 20 years older than me, they could be, you know, well into their late 60s and they're out there, little old women doing it themselves, doing it their whole lives. They know these little tricks of how to get the tent up all by themselves. It's amazing. That's great. Previously, I was using those graphic display panels Mm -hmm. inside the Mm -hmm. tent and that just looked very amateur. The walls were much better. In the beginning, I say use whatever you got Mm. and, you know, you're just looking for traction. I think things doing these shows you're trying to figure out who you are what's your style is you want to build a collection and you're trying to figure out how to talk to customers you're mm. trying to figure out how to connect like so it's kind of twofold i i tell people to get out and do shows all the time you get good you just go out there and yeah you'll flop you'll find maybe some local shows that aren't all that good and then you start doing a little research and realize there are shows out there that have they're deep and rich in tradition they've been around for 60 years yeah. you know they families went out, they remember when their kids and they went out with their parents. So it's like that tradition of going out to these big giant shows where they fill the streets, 20, 30, 40,000 people in the weekend. And they're there to buy art. And that's where traveling to when you know where those shows are. And then once you nail down your, it's like a sales pitch, but it's, you know, it's, you need to be able to connect with your customers. They're out there, their eyes light up if they walk into your tent and they see something they like. That's your cue. You need to go introduce yourself to them. You need to talk to them. They want to know how you did it. They want to know why you did it. They want the whole, you know, explanation of it. Pretend I'm an autistic child and you're teaching me social (laughs) skills. I'm serious. I've just walked into your tent and I spotted that cute little cat with a bird on its head. A bird on its head. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Okay. So what's the first thing you say to me to engage me? Well, uh, it depends on either what the person says or, or how they're looking at it. Cause it could be they're relating to it, to their own animal, or maybe it's uh, their best friend's animal that it reminds them of. They're looking at me trying to figure out the medium because I really layer my watercolors more than the average watercolorist. So a lot of people think it's acrylics or some form of mixed media with ink. So they are looking for confirmation that it's watercolors. So that's when I usually jump into action and I explain how I let my layering process. I usually have to I'll whip out like a device, like my, you know, my iPhone and I'll, I'll show them a little video of me painting. Um, oh, wow. I do all these little videos. And if you go on Instagram, you'll see how I can build up up to 30, 40 layers of watercolors to get a richness in the color. Now, the people who are interested in the process, are they interested because they want to paint themselves or are they also collectors? Both. Absolutely both. You don't make that decision. You don't even 
like think, oh, they're just asking because they want to do it themselves. You know that I'm happy to explain it either way. Okay, good for you. Some people, as soon as I get talking to them, I'll know by the third question if they're a collector or if they're an artist looking to get into it or some, I mean, there's a wide variety of artists. Some are just interested in watercolors. They're just a hobbyist at home trying to understand how I put my watercolor together. And then there are those out there trying to figure out how to sell their watercolors. Either way, I'm happy to help. I did my first show at 14 years old. And if it wasn't for professional artists out there that took me under their wing, I was first blessed by having a great aunt that had a studio and taught these traditional techniques. So I studied under her till I was 19, but there were two other professional artists out there in galleries and in the street that took me aside. They showed me how to get a tent. They took me and showed me how to go back then. It was in the late 80s, early 90s. You actually took your stuff to a professional framer. It was very different back then because everyone had their own strength. If you're a painter, you're a painter, you're not a framer. You know, you went to a framer. What do you do now? Do you just get ready-made frames? So now I I took me a while. Like when my framer retired, I was kind of like, oh no. (laughs) So I did a lot of searching. I, I went through a lot of frames. I went through other people. I went through other companies. And now I found a company out of Ohio that makes them in the USA. And I buy my stuff separately. So it's like I get my frames from one place, glass from another. I get my backings from another. And then I assemble it in my studio. So before I go to a show, I'll prepare all this stuff to head out to a show. My printing, my matting, it's all done here in my studio. So you're selling watercolors under glass, like not, yes. what's that other material? Instead of glass. Oh, I know what you mean. It's the substitute for glass. It yeah. scratches and it yellows. No, I would never use plexiglass. Oh, it yellows? Really? Yeah, I would never suggest that. Huh. No, I think there's a museum grade one though you can get. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That I don't know. It's a lot more expensive. It's like a museum grade. It has a UV filter on it. Oh, that's excellent. No, I tried the other stuff, but you got to think I did this 10 years ago. I'm sure the quality of it has probably improved since I last tried it. But when I tried it, I was the company I tried it from. I I was not happy with it. It yellowed and it scratched. Really? Wow. So that was just my own personal experience. So I'm like, well, I'm going back to glass and I kind of settled in on a size. So most of my sizes are small that I sell and they're easy to ship in the mail. Like there's a certain size you go over and, you know, then the glass can break. But yeah. if you stay small, like five by seven, eight by 10, 11 by 14. The watercolors are five by seven and eight by 10. And that's the size of the watercolor, not the size of the mat or the frame. You're talking about a five by seven watercolor. No, five by seven. That was one of, so back in 2006, when I was having all my babies and I was a teacher, I was a junior high art teacher and I did shows. I always did shows more of a part-time, you know, I did six, seven shows a year, always had all the way through high school, college, came out of college, jumped right into teaching. But when I was just had my second daughter pregnant with my third right after, I looked at my husband and I was like, wow, that's my whole teaching paycheck going to daycare. And I looked at mm-hmm. him and I'm like, I think I can do better staying at home with the kids and just doing shows on the weekends. I know how to do this. I've always known how to do it. I've, and I've always wanted to do it full time. There were shows out there in the country I knew I wanted to do, but I just never could get to it staying on the traditional schedule of, you know, being the teacher and the, you know, daycare and all that. So my husband was like, go for it. Secretly in my head, I'm like, okay, I have one year to prove to him I can do this full time. Mm. Of course, that was going into 2007. I'm like, awesome. The market just blew up. <laughs> yeah, No one's going to be buying art. I'm like, well, if I can sell art in 2007, I can sell art anytime. Good for you. Yeah, mm. I had kind of a similar challenge when I decided I wasn't going back to work, but I was, I was doing portraits and I really wanted not just to prove to my husband, but I wanted to prove to myself, you know, I didn't want to go back to my J-O-B. I wanted to be a full-time artist. 
Okay, so you said that's the most popular size. What are you pricing those at when they're framed? The five by seven watercolors. Oh, so a five by seven. Are you talking about a print or an original? You're framing the prints as well. Mm-hmm. I'll frame right there on the spot for you, so people have their choice of they can buy it um, unmatted, matted, or framed. Okay, and you have those extra things with you. You bring the mats and the frames with you. I load up a bunch of bins and I'm just like a machine. I'll just go all day long and I, I usually will sell, you know, somewhere between two, 300 pieces in a weekend. Good for you. That's fantastic. Okay, so share with us the prices for both original and then what a print would be. If you go and you, you know, you, you see my collections when I paint, I put a lot, I pour my heart into my watercolors, especially those funny animal ones where I'll do like, you know, the cat with a, you know, a bird on its head or a dog with a cupcake in front of them or something like that. So those could be anywhere, you know, between four and $800, depending on how many hours are put into it. For a five by seven? No, that's eight by 10. Okay. Speaking prices is so hard because I know some artists create works that are five, $10,000. And I just knew that wasn't the market for me. My stuff is fun and quirky and fills those. I just accepted the fact a long time ago that although the way I was classically trained, I always wanted to do those giant masterpieces that would hang in a dining room, you know, the big piece that would hang in your living room that would be worth thousands of dollars. And then what would come out of me with this fun, quirky little thing that would be perfect for like your hallway or the laundry room (laughs) or your kid's room. And I'm like, I kind of realized off the bat, I definitely put the effort into creating a masterpiece, but it doesn't come across that way to the public. So I had to be smart with how I priced it. So where my money, my bread and butter comes from my prints. I hand make all my own prints. I print it all, mat it all myself. So I like to try to keep things as much handmade as possible. It's just the way, the way I was raised. It was was like kind of embedded in me because I have to keep like every morning I wake up, I look at the way the world's changing and I'm like, wow, we don't even have to do it this way anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. there's so much technology that's handed to us that it was an eye opener. It was about a year ago, a younger, like I will say mid twenties kid came into my booth and he goes, wow, that's so cool. What app did that? Oh he my thought gosh. It was a photograph that was altered. And I was like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> like I have to, you know, and it really wow. set me on a of explaining that things are still can be handmade from scratch. It's a drawing. Like I draw with a pencil. I don't trace it. I didn't print it off from the internet, trace it and then paint it. Like everything's fresh from my brain, you know? And that's the other thing as photography grew over the past few decades, my artwork went more to creating things that you can't see in real life. So there's, you know, like some of those cat ones where they're interacting with like a mouse on its head or, you know, with the dragonflies or something like a lot of it is just something I've taken like cues from. Here's one. I was watching squirrel and a bird fighting over a nut in the park. Like I watched this for like 20 minutes and I'm like, oh, that's really funny watching these guys run across the lawn up and down the tree fighting over this. It was actually at the time it was a gray squirrel and a seagulls, right? But I'm like, well, I don't want to paint a seagull, but I chose another bird. I substituted the seagull out with a blue jay because they're kind of an aggressive bird that likes to eat nuts. And then I love doing chipmunks. So I made this scene, I call it a nutty situation where you have a blue jay coming down from the tree trying to get the nut from the gray squirrel that's holding it like this. Mm. And then right behind them is a chipmunk that's going to grab it. So I like doing like these like frozen, like these story starters. Like it's like an image, like what happens next? I have another one with a chipmunk on a cat's head about to grab an acorn from a tree and the cat's licking its lips, you know? Mm-hmm. There's just fun little scenarios that you can kind of see it happening, but it's not real. I love your art. It's adorable. Have you been asked to illustrate children's books? All the time. 
Do you, do you do that? I need to do one, but unfortunately, just the way my schedule is, as you know, one of those things I think, and you know this, life is about balance at this right. point in time. It's a big balancing act. And I know there's only so much I can get done in the day. And with yeah. the four kids doing the shows, and I was into licensing very heavy for a while. Are you still doing that with Painted Planet? I no longer have an agent. I've been out of that for almost two years now. I've, I still have a couple of contracts I work with. I still work with Elizabeth Studios for Fabric. I really enjoy that one. For the most part, I've wanted to get back into teaching, which is oh. I've been slowly building my website up and, and learning the equipment, like just try to teach myself the online market. I feel like it's this elusive, you know, like thing I've been trying to grab onto and figure out like how to make the online work for me. And slowly, I'm, it's like an onion, I'm peeling off one layer at a time, figuring it out because I always understood how to sell to people in person at shows. And I, I had the, f- the good fortune of learning at a young age. I started thinking about like, okay, when I, here's the analogy I explained to other people. Cause when the internet came about, everyone threw up a website and just expected magic to happen. Right. And that's not the way it works as we all know. No. <laughs> it's like, if I was to take my art booth and set it up in the middle of the field, would I sell to anyone? No. <laughs> if I was to take my art booth and set it up on the side of a highway, probably people passing by might get some notices, but still wouldn't get a whole lot of sales. And I, I kind of relate that to like throwing it that up like on Etsy or like the Amazon, you know what I mean? Like different like right. marketplaces, like, okay, so maybe you might get looks, but it still doesn't mean you're going to sell. Now, when I put my art booth up at strategically at an art show and I'm engaging with customers, that's when the magic happens. And the same as, same as online, you have to create those sales funnels. You have to figure out how to attract your customers to you and start engaging with them. So I'm just now starting to figure out those techniques for online. It took me a while. Good for you. We're kind of opposites, I guess, because I felt I was too short. That was my reason. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> that's not the reason. But I, I don't know. I just didn't feel I could do the art show by myself all weekend. So, and then my husband really didn't want to handle my children all by himself all weekend either. Yeah, my husband's a champ. He'll have like four kids hanging off him on the weekend. I wouldn't be able to do this if he wasn't. I'm not going to say my husband isn't supportive because he totally is. But even as they got older, a lot of the things that were happening on the weekends, and you must know this yourself, I wanted to be a part of. Like I wanted to go to my son's. So it's like little kids almost need you less and bigger kids in some ways, you want to spend more time with them. You want to see the, the recitals. I agree with it. Yeah. yeah. When, when they were little, when they were toddlers, I was missing nap time. It, right. they, they don't remember mommy being gone. And this past, it's been the past two years has kind of broke my heart because show season for me is between Mother's Day and Thanksgiving. And it really picks up September, October, November. Those are the big months. And usually I'm on a stretch. I'm gone eight shows in a, in a weekend. Now, some of those are wow. close to home at home, but a lot of those I'm on the road. So that what that means is, especially if it's a three-day show, Three-day shows means there's like a prep day and then there's setup day. So that means I'm gone five days. Okay. I'm making all my money for the winter in these shows. They're really important. And my husband knows it and we take it very seriously. But it was breaking my heart when the kids were like, mommy, don't go. (laughs) So that's why I've been uh, looking at educating myself on how how the same channels that I've learned in person, how do I make, how do I recreate that online? Right. Nothing's wasted. What you've learned is going to serve you very well down the line. And it's still a lot of times comes down to the human one-to-one connection anyway, because at the end of the day, you're still selling one thing to one person no matter what your sales funnel looks like, it's still a one-to-one transaction. I've always been very practical. Like even at a young age, like I accepted the fact that art is 
I need art in my life. I probably couldn't breathe without it. But for the most people, is it a necessity? No, it's a luxury. Like we really don't need art. Like even pottery is a necessity because you can create a bowl that you can eat out of. <laughs> I'll argue with that. It would be pretty depressing if there was nothing on your walls. Oh, see, now I 100% agree. Like I said, I need it in my life, but my husband absolutely doesn't. And it's funny because I was listening to your latest podcast talking about your husband because my husband grew up on a farm and he's such a farm boy. A lot of farmers are like, not everyone, but a lot of them, they're all about, you know, taking care of the cattle, taking care of the horses, getting the job done. They got to hate the fields. Like if I painted tractors all day, he'd be a happy man. Oh, my husband would love that too. Yeah. Yeah, actually. (laughs) Trucks. I don't paint the right thing. My husband could... He's fascinated in how I've created it into a business. Mm. But as far as the art part, he just kind of smiles at me and will pat me on my head and say, nice job. You know what I mean? He's kind of like, um, I don't know why you painted that, but you know, you go girl. <laughs> so like my husband's grandmother was a painter. So he grew up around that and it was. Oh, neat. That, yeah. So that set of grandparents that his grandfather and his father are the ones who started the farm. They moved out of the Bronx New York, and they wanted to start a farm. So he grew up around seeing his grandmother painting every day, and she painted the farm, she painted the birds, she painted children. So there's lots of paintings from his grandmother in his his father's home, and he grew up with that as being something that their family valued a lot. So that is awesome. Yeah. And if you don't have that in your life and you weren't raised with it, you know, a lot of people can walk down the streets of a, you know, a festival and not understand why, why these artists are doing what they do. But bottom line, I think art is emotion is an emotional thing. It's an mm. emotional connection in so many different ways. And I think it might not be a necessity for some people like it, like it is for you and me, but it's an emotional thing. You know, like our husbands might not be like, well, I can live without art. And then they'll walk down and see that beautiful painting of a shiny red tractor and they'll walk over to it. It'll remind them of something, you know, like their youth. Yeah. What my husband has trouble understanding though, is that I also like to collect art in addition to making art. So sometimes he doesn't always get that, that, you know, like, no, wait, I like to collect it too, not just make it. So he's like, why do you need art? You sound like me. You could go to a show and just stare at what someone else creates. Cause like you have your style. I, like we all have our own styles, yeah. but I'm of other people's style. Like I can't create that. I just admire it so much. And it's nice when you have that individual that comes along and takes a second and just admires, you know, what went into that creation. So do you collect art too, Tracy? Well, I would love to someday with the four kids right now. It seems like the money goes out fast and then it comes in. We had to, our 16 year old just got her license, which is fantastic because oh, it helped me out. Yeah. yeah I thought when my kids learned to drive, I thought that was better than like Potty training. Yeah, it happened fast. We put an addition on our house this past year. Had to get a car for her. I was blown away by how much insurance has gone up since we were kids. I was like, whoa. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Oh, yeah. Definitely got to prepare for the future. When your kids are little, just know that it's going to cost more when they get older. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't talk a lot about products here, but I really do need to talk about where to get your professional booth because I think it's really vital for succeeding at fairs and festivals. Tracy and I both decided on Flourish Company as the source for our art show booth displays. They offer a wide range of products, including canopies, awnings, display walls, and more. What I love is that when I needed help, the owners walked me through exactly what I needed, and I used their videos to learn how to put it all together. You can check them out at flourishdisplays.com. Their customer service is absolutely amazing. All right, now back to the show. 
when you're researching shows. Now, I did a show last year that I thought would be amazing because it was at a museum. It was a great experience. It's just they didn't let me sell prints. Oh, yeah. You just brought up an excellent point because this has been a challenge for so many promoters. It drives me batty because the market's changing so fast and the promoters, whether, and I put promoters, like you have professional promoters and then you have artist associations that usually, you know, they have maybe like one kick butt show or something, Yeah. but they're, they're still rooted in their old ways. And I'm like, oh my gosh, the world has changed. We are when I introduced my prints to the market, I had to be very choosy at what shows I went to because some shows don't allow it. And I'm like, well, right. fine, you know, that's my bread and butter if you don't. And this is where I'd get frustrated because a long time ago, art shows were just artists. Craft shows were just crafters. Yes. Um, folk artists were folk artists. And that's fine. What happened was, is they merged it all together. I was always told at, as a child, you do not do shows with crafters because the price point is different and it changes the market. Do you do shows with crafters now? Because I avoid them. Absolutely. Oh, you do? That's why I um, did the prints. Because I'm like, well, in order for some of these shows to survive, they opened up their application and juries to all different forms of art. And I'm like, well, the minute they did that, I immediately invested equipment into my own printing so that I could meet that price point. And a lot of people were like, well, why would you do that? Now no one will buy your originals. Well, guess what? If someone wants an original, they're going to buy an original. They're going to know what an original is. They're going to ask for it. They're going to seek it out. Um, that hasn't changed. But what did change is I was now able to sell my fun, quirky designs to such a larger audience to enjoy them. And that's and I knew my artwork that like that was perfect for my business model. Now I have a friend that just got into it last year. She's acrylic. She puts these together, these really nice large size landscape pieces. And she's able to do them in a time that she can demand a price for it. And I, you know, I'm like, honestly, I think you should just keep your your business model should just be originals. Let's talk about why that is though, because you're making these really adorable, quirky animal paintings. And people are going to think, oh my God, that would be perfect for my son's room or for my niece or whoever. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not going to drop $800 or four. Well, you said it was $400. They're not going to drop $400 for an original painting for their niece. Well, some do actually. I have made those sales. They will. They'll ask for it. There was one woman, it was so cute. It was like the first time she did that. And it actually, it was an original painting in that price range for her niece. I think I gave her a break because she bought a print for her nephew. And then I said, okay, well, we'll take 10% off or something that's, you know, to make it feel better for her. But you could tell that she wanted to be the kind of person who buys originals for her niece. Like that's like it, that made her happy. That self concept of being the type of person who buys, who's doing this special thing and gets it. Like that made her happy. And then a lot of people who collect original art, that's, that's part of their self concept. It's like for me, I don't buy prints. I never buy prints. That's how the world used to work not too long ago. Think about it. If someone wanted to decorate the walls of their house, you went out to these shows because there was no such thing as internets and you know we didn't have cell phones and we didn't have Walmarts and Targets. We didn't yeah. have any of that. Yeah. If you wanted to decorate the walls of your house, you went and found an artist or a crafter that you like and usually you went out every year and added to your collection. Yeah. And this wasn't that long ago. I mean, this is the 80s, 90s and then the world changed real quick. And when these festivals started combining our mediums, 
I made my adjustment quick, and which is fine because I could pop up at a show and have someone that does tie-dye t-shirts next to me. Can you imagine selling $800 paintings next to someone that's doing tie-dye? It's happened. Oh, gosh, yeah. My husband will yell at me. It's like, did you research this show? Because this was a flea market <laughs> last time you went. You thought it was going to be great. He stood in the 97 <laughs> degree heat. <laughs> the trick is the crowd. You're looking for big crowds of people and you're looking for crowds that are out to shop because some of these shows, the kiss of death of these larger festivals is when they start letting commercial people come in. And when they start, I hate to say, it, I mean, I love having kids around, but when they start doing too many kid activities. I totally agree. Like when there's a bouncy castle, don't go. Don't go. Don't go. Absolutely. You do not do that show. Unless you sell children characters, yeah. Right, they're there because they want their kid on the bouncy castle, but then They're not there to buy art. No, they don't even go in the booth. Do you do the Armonk show? I applied to that a long time ago and was rejected, so I never applied again. I'll I'll give a place once or twice, I'll apply, and then I'll just move on if, if my art doesn't fit their style. Like I said, some of these promoters, like they'll let in the tie-dye shirts and they'll let in, like some people just hot glue something to driftwood and call it good. You know, I'm like, okay, want to call that art? Fine. I'm not... I'm not judging you. Don't judge me. What they want to do to us artists, and when I say the traditional, like watercolors, acrylics, and oils, they'll let everyone else do, like they'll let digital art in, they'll let photography in, they'll let, you know, people do all these crazy things and crafts. But then suddenly in our realm, they're saying, no, you can only do originals. That's when I get frustrated. It's very frustrating. You change the rules of your show. So I have no problem going to a show if it's just paintings and it's all originals, it's all an even playing field. But the minute you combine all these hand goods together, which is, I think, awesome. I mean, I have no problem like garden art, like you'll see these quirky little things you put in the garden or something, you know, suddenly it's not fine art, it's decorative art. Right. See, I found it very difficult that show I did at the museum, which the rule was only originals, but there were people who like kind of got around that rule, like they glued their art to make coasters or something. It was... Yeah, see, that's not, that's not even fine art. It was supposed to be all paintings, but I just found I didn't bring my prints. I couldn't bring my note cards. I couldn't bring my calendars. That's how I would make up my booth fees to make it, you know, at least a wash. And then mm-hmm. what happens is when you, you're sitting there all day and nothing's, yeah, I sold maybe two originals the whole weekend, but you start to get into this negative energy of like, why am I here? I'm not making sales. You absolutely sales. do. Yeah. No, it can be, you know, bone crushing, you know, like when you're out there and you're in your own head. And you see people walking by, and if they're not walking into your booth, and if you're not talking to them, you start self-doubting everything. And then some of these people, I know they would have bought a print if I had it to sell to them. That was was really frustrating. Like you could tell there were some people, they, they're not original buyers. They're there because they love art. They're looking, but maybe they weren't planning on buying something that day when they walked into the festival, but they would have if something was irresistible to them at the right price point. In that business model, I don't think it's working as, you know, every year we progress into the future with technology. Mm. I find it a little more difficult to do something that worked back in the 80s, like selling these big originals. Because what these artists would do is, right, they'd have these giant, beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous paintings. And all they had to do is sell one to make their weekend. You know, they sell one that made the whole month. Yeah. And they live and died on that one sale. And I knew, I'm like a long time ago, I'm like, that's not me. I no, need that's to, not I me. To feed. I, I couldn't energetically, I couldn't be like 
you know, it's like going fishing for the marlin. Like, I just can't, yeah, absolutely. I can't do some, it. Some people really enjoy it. So right. it's, it is definitely like if anyone's listening to this podcast that wants to go do shows, you got to test it. You got to go out, test the market, find out not only what, what sells best for you, because that's, let's say you're all over the place. You know, artists tend to be all over the place painting and you got to tighten it up because you want your booth to look professional. You want to have collections that are cohesive and work well together. Not only is that eye-catching, but you'll sell more. Instead of selling one, you'll sell two or three. Whether it be an original or a print, you will sell more. But you don't know what are the big sellers are because you might love something in the studio, but guess what? Maybe when you get out there in the public, they like something that you didn't even see coming. And then you get talking to them and realize why it's so popular. And you then suddenly you have an aha moment of something more you want to do with it. And that would never happen if you don't get out of the studio. I completely agree. Like those conversations are absolutely critical, which is why the fact that you go to these in-person shows are going to help you when you develop your thing online. And it's, you know, it's really the same thing online. When people go to a a website, they don't want to see one of this and one of that. And I see a lot of artists make that mistake, especially on Etsy. They'll have their crocheted cup warmer along with their watercolor. And then they have, you know, the glued on driftwood that you were talking about. And that's common because creative people, you know, you, you oh, wake sure. up every It's day not that you shouldn't make these yeah. things, but <laughs> if you're opening a website or a shop, people need to know what to expect or they get nervous and confused. And someone who's confused, they will leave. Like once I figure it out online, I then have that aha moment. I'm like, oh, I already do this now in my business in in person. Yes. I think all along, even people before the internet came, like the successful artists at shows were the ones that identified what their market was, what their collection was. They identified kind of, it's kind of like you, you forming your, we call it branding, right? Right. We're all branding ourselves. And I don't think we called it that, you know, 20 years ago, but that's kind of what we're all doing. And we just have to at it. I think we all have to just figure out what, I think back in the day, what we just called ourselves our names. Like I'm a watercolor artist and my name's Tracy Lazat. But now it's like, we kind of put a little more of a spin on it. You know, I'm Tracy Lazat Studios. I do fun, whimsical watercolors. Here's my logo. Here are my colors on my business card. And it, and it goes across the board at a show. Like if you see my show, like if you go to my website and look at my show page, you'll see what my um, booth looks like. But on the top of my trim line tent, which I have one of those dome shaped canopies, I ordered from Vistaprint, I ordered a banner and then I I trimmed the banner down to fit that curve and then I stitched it. I actually sewed it like onto it, like praying to God I didn't destroy things because tape and glue and those types of things don't work on that vinyl. It's heavy duty. Okay. So your banner, you sewed it obviously at home. So now every time you go up, it's exactly in the right position. It's actually Velcro. So I, so I can actually roll it up so that doesn't get all and then it velcros right on. So I just kind of unroll it right on. So I had to stitch it to both areas so that it's durable. It's not going to blow off in bad weather. And it's of my birds. Like, you know how I have like this, yeah. and, and the birds, you'll see them all over my platforms online. And it'll be these fun little birds. And I'll say, my art will make you smile. And I'll get that all the time. People will be off in the distance or across the road and they'll walk in and then I wouldn't even know what, what brought them in. And they'll, they'll smile at me and say, yep, your art makes me smile. And I realized they read my banner and that's why they walked in. Yeah, your art is very much happy making art. Okay, so we are about to wrap up. Do you have any like last advice for my listeners about art fairs specifically? I love 
helping others. And like I said, if it wasn't for people helping me in my youth, I like to pass it on and I could talk all day about this stuff because we kind of launched into kind of the background and the history of how we've evolved now. But as far as if someone wants to get into art shows, you don't even, I don't care if you just have two paintings, get out there. Mm -hmm. You need to get talking to your customers and don't have a fear of it because some people fear doing shows because they're fear of rejection. That doesn't happen. Mm. If someone doesn't like your work, they'll just walk by. They simply just walk by. The people that come into the booth are genuine, interested in knowing more about you and your art. And it's usually 99% always a very pleasant conversation. And you learn so much from it. That's true. But I have had old ladies come into my booth and talk to each other in front of me like I'm not there, but exactly what they think. So, oh, yeah. I so, you know what? It's <laughs> happened. In the art world, I go into like everyone's entitled to their own opinion. And you do occasionally get that person that just doesn't get it. And the other thing is, is when you start doing enough of these shows, you start repeating certain shows once a year. It's good to spread yourself out these days. Go to one show in that area once a year, because if you do too much, you will oversaturate the market. Mm. You want to keep people wanting to come back to you and you, your followers, they, you know, once you start building up those followers and you get an old lady in there, that's going to share a negative comment, your followers will chase them right out of the tent. It happens. So that's awesome. Where are your favorite shows near me so I can come visit you? So you're not at Armonk. Are you in New York at all? Well, the big one, I love doing things on the Hudson. So whether it's New Paul's or Rhinebeck. So like I'll do Country Living. That's a good one in June. The Country Living. So Country Living Magazine has these shows all over the country. Oh, wow. So I'll do their big one. I've done some of the further ones away. I just can't get to them right now because of my obligations to my family. But I will do the one in Rhinebeck. It's always the first weekend in June. It's a fantastic show. Now that one's a hodgepodge. That one has got your antiques. It's got your gardening. It's got your clothes. It's got your food. That's not strictly a fine art and craft shows on the Memorial and Labor Day weekend, Quail Hollow has a promoter. So if you look up Quail Hollow, they have a wonderful show that's on, in New Paul's. Yeah, I think that's about an hour from me. But Rhinebeck is gorgeous. I would That one, like, I'm already, like, thinking as soon as we hang up, I'm going to find out when the deadline is for that show. And Rhinebeck has a few other, like, Art Writer has some shows out there that's a little more high-end. Now, if you wanted to... Really big shows that are affordable to get into. One of the best ones in Not Too Far For You, Mystic, Mystic, Connecticut. Oh, okay. And you want to do the one that the Chamber of Commerce holds, been around for 60 years. The whole town just shuts down that grot and all those places, like they have the cops out, they've shut down the roads. It just drives so many people in there. I sell some of my, you know, my biggest sales go to people that they have yachts and they come into the harbor and they're, they're there to buy original work and they just step off, get what they're looking for and they head back to wherever they're sailing to. That's a good one. Wickford, Rhode Island is really good. These are like fine art shows. These, okay. these two that are named off, just so you know, because you have your ones that are more crafty and then you have some that are more heavy in your fine arts. And that's kind of what these shows have evolved to. I personally do better when it's more towards fine art rather than the craftier jewelry hodgepodge ones. You want to be somewhere where there's a lot of people. Then that's when your people find you. Okay, so people who are not in the Northeast, the country living shows, those are on the West Coast too, right? If you are looking for shows, you have the Sunshine Magazine's been around forever and they rate them. So if you go to that, you know, and you're going to look for the four or five ratings. So if you know, like when I knew I wanted to travel 10 hours away, I love the Three River Show in Pittsburgh. Actually, Pennsylvania has a lot of good shows because you got State College, Longs Park, 
Rittenhouse that's in Philadelphia. Yeah, I know Rittenhouse Square. That's beautiful. So a lot of these, you can just find them in the Sunshine Magazine. I'll go to that this time of year looking for things. I break them down. Like some of those, they're art and music festivals. Then you have your really high-end fine art shows that cost a lot of money to get into. Then you have like your more general to the public shows. Those are my favorite. That's like Allentown show in Buffalo, New York. It's Cornhill in Rochester. It's Park Place in Rochester, New York. It's Letchworth uh, State Park in New York. There's a ton of them I could rattle off depending on what you're looking for. If you're looking for Mystic's great if you do because it's right on the ocean or you could do Mount Gretna, Pennsylvania if you have more woodsy theme. You've got to know who, you know, who you're selling to and then you'll be able to better pick some of these shows. And do you also though find that a lot of it is just experimentation that sometimes you don't know if a show is going to be good or not until you try it? I would tell anyone, do it, just go do it. And yeah, it might be a flop, but it might be so successful and you wouldn't even know it because you, you know, you didn't buy it. I mean, that's what I always tell my husband. It's the cost of research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've got to the point where a lot of this is like word of mouth. When I hear a show that not only my artist friends suggest, but my customers are suggesting too, I write it down and I'll look it up. And if it fits into my schedule, because I try to do four or five new shows every year. I want to inject new people. I want to, you know, expose my art to new people every year because you can't keep selling to the same people every year. So when you say you add four to five, does that mean you're also letting go the same number because you can't do more? Cycling. More. So you look at what the least profitable shows were and try to fill that gap with something better. If you keep doing the same shows over and over and you find shows that used to be really good for you, then suddenly you're not making the money anymore. It means it's your time to bounce. Like you've sold to your market. You need to, you need to leave for, for three or four years and then come back. Oh, that's interesting. I would have thought that you just keep getting more and more traction with as people get to know Some you. Do. There are a few locations like Mystic's one of those where I could probably do it forever. I, I love my spot, so I'll never give it up. If I'm not at Mystic, you know, I've, I've died <laughs> or retired. Or your daughter's getting married. Let's be positive. Right. Okay. I would still pay for the spot and make someone go stand there. Yeah, there are certain shows where typically, traditionally, if you get into a show, and this isn't always the case, but if you get into a show and you get a spot, usually if you reapply for it and request it, they give it to you. That's in tradition, typically. What, so when I'm referring to like my same spot, you know, and that and that's helpful for people to find you, especially if these shows are like three, four hundred artists. You know, people need to know where to find you. Okay, is there such thing as a bad spot though? Like if I yes, knew, I'm going to assume they're sticking me in the worst possible place, like by the hot dog vendors. Yep. If you're a brand new artist, you could be at the tail end of a side street that is not getting the majority of the traffic. Now that's Mystic. Like Mystic, there's definitely good spots and bad spots. Now let's say Allen. Town, the Allentown show, which is in Buffalo, New York, that is one straight shot with one tiny like little loop. So there's really not a bad spot there. I'm actually at the very end of the street there. I mean, I could ask to be in the middle thinking, oh, you know, but people, what they do is they walk the whole length of the street. They're going to see you. So there are some shows. Yeah, absolutely bad spots. I actually put a list up last April on my blog post of where to find art shows with the links and stuff, because I get so many artist friends that ask me. So I'm going right now. <laughs> Yeah. And I actually just put up and you'll see it. Like there's two, you'll probably like one is you, you can watch me do a time-lapse video of me putting up my booth. So I videotape myself uh, in October. So you can, and then I have a running list of all the equipment and the links. So you're welcome to go check that out. And then also shows. Most of the shows I know are up here 
on the East Coast. I don't do Florida shows, but Florida's like peppered with them. Yeah, Florida is a big place like that. People just go from show to show. I am not ready for that. Maybe if I lived there, I would do it. But Wickford's another good one for you to do. That one is run by an artist association. So it's the Wickford Artist Association. It's in North Kingston, Rhode Island. You have to get sales tax IDs for every state, right? Rhode Island's great because you know it's it's free. Fine, selling fine art is tax exempt. But you still need to get your tax ID for them, right? Like a vendor license? Nope. You just pay $10 when you're there and they do it right there on the spot. Oh, perfect. All right. I'm, I'm, I'll see you there. Yeah. So yeah, Virginia and Rhode <laughs> Island are the easiest. And then like there are others like Ohio and Georgia are horrible. So don't even bother. <laughs> okay. Tracy, thank you so much for coming today. This was so valuable. I know my listeners are going to absolutely love this episode. I think what you're doing is fantastic. It's been such a delight to listen to you every episode, listening to your skills and stuff. Like you're getting good. You're like you're getting real good at this. Oh, thanks. You're asking the right questions. And you know what? One of the episodes when you started talking about MailChimp, because I am one of not many artists out there that are from my world, understand what's going on in the online world. They're really two separate identities and there's very few people that understand the crossover and it takes time to educate yourself. I mean, it it's really takes time to learn whether you're going from online to in-person or in-person to online, there's a learning curve. It amazes me how many people don't understand like that there are mail services out there, something yeah. like mail. So when you talked about that, I was like, yes, because you know they needed that explanation. They do because so many people think that doing a, a CC or BCC is okay. And it's not right. okay. First of all, it's not legal. And second of all, it's not nice. People don't like that. They really don't. Even if they like you, it's like going on a boat and not knowing where it's going. They like to know there's an exit. Oh, it'd be like being at an art show and walking up to people in the street, throwing your artwork in their faces. Look at this. Look at this. <laughs> you know, like, people don't want you to like walk up in the street and say, talk about my art, buy my art. Like That's kind of like when you do that with the emails. Right. But I think it's also they're doing themselves a disservice because it really is easier to use those services. You know, you can write it in advance, you can schedule it, you can tag people who came to your shows. It's like it does a lot for you that saves time. I was frustrated. Like, I didn't want to learn it. Like, I put it off for so long. I'm like, oh, one more thing to learn. Like, I was very huffy and yeah. very, like, begrudgingly, like, took the time to learn MailChimp. And now I'm like, oh, my God, what was wrong with me? Like, yeah. I like the aha moment and light bulb went on. I said, it's just a simple tool, but it's what you can do with it. Like if you strategize the right way, if you figure out how to use it for your business and how to come across it with your personality. Yes. That's just that you have to have that like light bulb moment in your brain, you know, and then it's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming. And like I said, we have the link to your website in the show notes. It's tracylazatstudios.com, right? That's it. Yep. So that'll be in the show notes. We also have the freebie. Don't forget about the freebie. It's the ultimate art fair packing list. So you'll find that in the show notes as well. Chillmanart.com forward slash 30. And finally, to wrap this all up, just want to remind people to subscribe to the podcast. And what I mean by that is, of course, I love email subscribers. Subscribe on iTunes. Every iPhone comes with the podcast player in it. I know a lot of my listeners are listening on the blog. So if you're doing that right below the player, there's a button that says Apple Podcasts. You just click that. It will find on your phone where that app is. And it's a free app. It's free to subscribe because you don't want to waste your time waiting for my emails. You want to get those podcasts right away and download it to your phone. There's enough stuff to do besides looking for things. So be sure you do that. 
Thanks so much for being with me here today. Thank you again, Tracy. Oh, I can't thank you enough for having me. This was fun. Yeah, it was a real pleasure. This is going to be, I'm sure, a real popular episode. Remember to check out our sponsor, FlourishDisplays.com. If you want to sell your art at outdoor festivals, you need a great presentation, and they can help you with that. Don't forget to tell them you heard about them on the Inspiration Place podcast. And for what to bring to the art fair, download my free art fair packing list at shulmanart.com forward slash 30. All right, that's it for now. Have an inspirational day. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course on shulmanart.com. Hey there, if you enjoyed this podcast, you have to check out the Inspired Insiders Club. It's my monthly membership program where you get inspiration from me. Every month I share with you techniques that I use in my own art for drawing and painting in both watercolor and mixed media. Plus, each month we meet live. We talk about inspiration and ideas for how to make the art in your own style and you get to ask me questions or even get critiqued on your art. If you're feeling stuck in your art and your goal for 2019 is to unleash greater creativity or to spend more time painting, but you need a little help creating that habit, then the Inspired Insiders Club will help you get there. Come join me over at shulmanart.com. That's shulmanart with a C dot com forward slash join. I'd love to have you join me in the Inspired Insiders Club. See you there.